Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Finally, we have to finish the process we began under my administration of fundamentally reevaluating NATO's purpose and NATO's mission. Our foreign policy establishment keeps trying to pull the world into conflict with a nuclear-armed Russia based on the lie that Russia represents our greatest threat. But the greatest threat to Western civilization today is not Russia. It's probably, more than anything else, ourselves and some of the horrible USA-hating people that represent us. I'm joined by Ben Hodges, former commanding general of the U.S. Army Europe and a NATO senior mentor for logistics. Uh, general Hodges, welcome to the, to the show. I guess. Thanks. Thanks very much for the privilege. I, for just a minute, I thought I had clipped into uh, Russia today, uh, listening to that last that last set of remarks. I mean, could you ever believe that there would be a situation where someone who was in the White House would be making a statement like that, calling for the dismantling of NATO, saying that Russia is not a threat and that it is a lie to say that Russia is a threat, and also saying that the greatest danger to the United States of America are fellow Americans. Yeah, I think Ronald Reagan would be going crazy right now if he had heard a Republican presidential candidate or a former Republican president uh, use those words. Of course, NATO is not perfect. No, no alliance is perfect. Uh, all of its members bring their biases, their priorities, their own agenda. But for 75 years, this summer, 75 years, NATO has provided a security environment for Europe, the United States, and Canada uh, that has helped uh, protect the most prosperous time in our, in our history. Uh, never in my life did I imagine an American president would question uh, our commitment to NATO or the value of NATO. And for sure, when I look at what's going on from the Kremlin, uh, the constant threats against us, against our allies, um, the constant violations of sovereignty, of human rights, of disruption to our economy, uh, I don't know how you could say they're anything other than a gigantic threat. You know, and then the attacks are also directed at retired American generals. I mean, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, Donald Trump said that based on his conduct in other ages, he said that Milley would be executed, essentially calling for the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to be executed for treason. And then Trump goes around the country and just speaks so ill of, of retired military generals here i'll show you this is one fairly recently in, in california here play this clip today at his retirement ceremony he said quote we don't take an oath from a water you actually well, general milley what he did death. is really treasonous if you look at what he said to china uh, he's either stupid or it's treason 
But what he said to China should never be allowed. That can never be allowed in our country. Did you suggest that? You know what, General Milley, General Milley, who I know, he's a lazy guy, who left billions and billions of dollars worth of equipment with the Taliban. General Milley's a lazy guy who's not very smart. But what, Ge what General Milley did to China and with China is a disgrace. And but frankly, why there are that? many people that would call it treason. But why suggest yeah. Thank that? you very much. Thank you, Dawson Senator. You know, the expression, a hit dog will holler. I mean, General Milley said in the United States of America, we don't pledge our loyalty and oath to a dictator. That's what the reporter was asking Donald Trump. He said, General Milley said, we don't uh, pledge our oath to a dictator. What's your response? And Trump's response was was that. I mean, again, I mean, you, you're in this group of top military generals who have provided service to our country, like like all of the the men and women of our military, and to hear that, I mean, what goes through what goes through your mind? Well, of course, uh, I've known Mark Milley for for many years. He he is anything but uh, stupid and lazy. He's probably one of the most well-read people in America, let alone army officers. Uh, he questions things. He's intellectually a, a giant. Uh, and has worked like a dog uh, in nothing but hard jobs his whole army life. So I really um, found that incredibly offensive that the former commander in chief would say that about uh, an officer who had the highest responsibility in the military. Now, we are not beyond criticism. Of course, we're subject to criticism, but to question uh, intelligence, uh, work ethic, and especially his integrity uh, to call him a treason um, is, I, I have a hard time finding a way to describe it. But Mark's right, of course. I, I keep a copy of the Constitution with me everywhere I go. It's always in my briefcase. And and I do this because I got caught one time. Um, I asked a congressional staffer, I said, why are you guys, this was 20 years ago, he said, why are you digging into how we do basic training? This particular staffer didn't like the fact that the Army was beginning to integrate women into every aspect of the army. I said, why do you care how we do basic training? And he said, Colonel, I was a Colonel. And he said, Colonel, don't you take an oath to the constitution over and over? I said, of course I do. He said, maybe you ought to read it because in the constitution, it said article one lays out the responsibilities for the Congress. Article two lays out the responsibilities for the president. And so the oath that we take support and defend the constitution of the United States is unique in the world. And that's the point, of course, that Mark was making, not that our loyalty. The thing that really pushed me over the edge on uh, Mr. Trump was when I heard him talking about my generals and my judges, as if we were some third world country that um, the judges and generals and other authorities all owed their fealty to whoever the dictator was. And, and I just can't imagine um, that the founding fathers intended that, you know, the president would have this kind of personal control over generals. But that's, that's obviously how Mr. Trump thinks, and it's reprehensible. Let's talk about the Ukraine supplemental, about $61 billion in military assistance uh, that really needs to be earmarked urgently uh, for Ukraine. Lots of uh, Republicans are Balking at that would be an understatement. Some are outright just uh, giving the kind of Russian talking points. I'll show you the latest here of Speaker of the House Mike Johnson when when he was asked about this. Uh, here's what he had to say. He said that we don't want to get us into another Afghanistan. He said here, play this clip. 
accountability for the funds. Um, we, we need to know that Ukraine would not be another Afghanistan. And you see a lot of the American people having real, scratching their heads, having real questions about um, why that would continue without these appropriate answers. So I'm going to push for those. But before we even talk about Ukraine, I'm going to tell the president when I'm telling all of you and we've told the American people, border, border, border. We have to take care of our own house. We have to secure our own border before we talk about doing anything else. And that's the, the message I've had since day one. You know, we've been covering the border aspect of the supplemental funding where the Senate has been negotiating a bipartisan border solution uh, with $14 billion earmarked for necessary resources there. So I just wanted to address that part. It's not what our interview here is to talk about. But when you hear Speaker Johnson talk about comparing what's going on to Ukraine, to Afghanistan, and when you hear some of these other talking points, I mean, what goes through your mind and what's kind of your response to that? Um, well, first of all, what a bizarre uh, comparison to say that we don't want another Afghanistan when talking about Ukraine. Of course, there there are no American soldiers in Ukraine. You have Ukrainian soldiers are fighting, dying, fighting and dying uh, against Russia, uh, defending their sovereignty, uh, trying to stop the murder of innocent Ukrainian civilians, but also protecting Europe. And the West, our economy, our prosperity is directly tied to European prosperity and security. So it's to our benefit that Ukraine is successful. And somehow Speaker Johnson uh, is either doesn't understand history or the geography or how these things are all connected. Secondly, the um, majority, the majority of Americans support Ukraine. The majority of the Congress supports Ukraine. The majority of Republicans in Congress supports Ukraine. The Senate, including all the Republicans, clearly supports Ukraine. So what's happening here is a, a dereliction of duty, in my view, that for domestic political gain, uh, a small number of members in the House are willing to sacrifice thousands of lives of Ukrainians. And if Ukraine fails, if Ukraine fails, Russia has made it very clear they're going to continue going against NATO countries like the Baltics, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland. Now you're talking about it's a NATO conflict. Now you've got American soldiers, British soldiers, German soldiers will become involved in the conflict. And, you know, Mr. Johnson and, uh, and his side, they, they talk about China is a, is a bigger priority. The Chinese for sure are watching. Do we actually care enough about the things we say we care about? Um, our economy, uh, stability and security in Europe, which affects us, respect for borders, respect for sovereignty, respect for human rights. The Chinese are watching. If we're not willing to help Ukraine address those issues in a place where it's going to be much easier than it will out in the Pacific, then I don't think the Chinese will be too terribly impressed with what we say about Taiwan or the South China Sea. So these things are all connected, not either or. And General, can you tell us about the situation right now in Ukraine? I mean, what's taking place? I mean, there there are reports that there are weapon shortages. I mean, from what we're hearing in places like Avdivka because of these type of funding issues. I mean, the resistance by the Ukrainian soldiers, I mean, from what I've been following, has been nothing short of heroism beyond heroism, but there really needs to be this funding. And perhaps you can give us kind of the immediate what's going on, and then perhaps we can kind of pull it back a little and talk about from the 10-year the perspective 
uh, since Russia's invasion back in 2014, how we can look at this and kind of put this in a historical context. But let's start with where, where are we right now? Okay, right now, uh, we are in a deadlocked situation. Uh, despite the Russians having enormous uh, manpower advantages, uh, the Ukrainians have been able to stop them just about everywhere. Uh, the Russians have lost over 350,000 troops uh, just in these last two years. They're, they're somewhere around the rate of 1,000 per day now, which is a staggering amount of, uh, of soldiers being killed. But of course, the Russians don't care about that. Most of these troops that they send into the meat grinder are poorly trained and they are recruited from out in the far reaches of the Russian Federation. Uh, the Kremlin is careful to avoid recruiting troops out of Moscow and St. Petersburg because they don't want to have a bunch of funerals there in Moscow and St. Petersburg. Uh, that's the ground situation uh, in the air. Uh, of course, we all just saw two very, very significant uh, aircraft shootdowns, uh, Russian Air Force uh, um, radar and air control aircraft were shot down over the Sea of Azov by very clever uh, Ukrainian air defenders using Patriot that was provided by uh, the West. Um, at sea, the Black Sea Fleet, which has a really cool name, is getting knocked out by the Ukrainians who don't even have a Navy anymore, but it's their innovation with drones. Um, the cruise missiles provided by UK and France called Storm Shadow and Scout. Uh, and through special forces, they have been able to inflict some serious losses on the, on the Russian Navy there in the port of Sevastopol so that the Russians are having to withdraw some of their ships back further to the east to their own port of Novorossiysk. So, um, I think there's a narrative out there that somehow this is inevitable and that the Ukrainians are losing this. That's not even close to being the truth. What's happening is that the Russians realize that they cannot knock Ukraine out of the war. They don't have the ability decisively to knock them out. But they can see that in the West that we are wavering. They can see that there's a, a reluctance to fully commit to Ukraine winning. And I'm talking specifically the United States and Germany. Um, the uh, Russians, therefore, have decided they're going to continue this, uh, what the Ukrainian troops refer to as meat wave attacks um, to give the impression or convey the impression that Russia can do this for as long as it takes forever. It's not true, but that's certainly the impression they want to convey. And then they're launching precision weapons against civilian targets in Ukraine. So that's where we are. The Russians ha have opted for a war of attrition that they think they can win this year. Obviously, they're hoping for a Republican administration that will be willing to abandon Ukraine. And then more kind of in a historical context. And, you know, you and I were even chatting before the interview. I mean, this is a war. Sure. I mean, you know, the 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 another part, a wave of the invasion, if you will, two years ago, which many people think was the start. But really, you're talking about a 10-year a war, right, in terms of what's been taking place since 2014, the kind of unlawful annexation of Crimea. Can, can you talk us through that, what's gone on in these 10 years? Yeah, the, uh, the war actually started in 2014 with Russia's invasion of Crimea. Uh, and there was a lot of fighting in the early months, and then it kind of uh, settled down somewhat. There were negotiations going on, but the war did start 10 years ago and Russia has built on what they got in the beginning with the annexation of the Crimean Peninsula. Plus they were supporting so-called separatists who were actually proxies fighting for them 
in uh, Donetsk and Luhansk, the two easternmost ob oblasts of Ukraine. Since then, uh, when they started the large-scale invasion back in uh, just over two years ago, I'm sorry, two years ago, February 2022, uh, they have obviously uh, made it all the way to Kiev, were stopped, and then have come back. And now, after 10 years, and I think putting this in perspective helps understand why I am so optimistic about Ukraine um, eventually going to win, is because after 10 years, uh, Russia, with every advantage, only controls 18% of Ukraine. Uh, their air force has failed to achieve air superiority. That's always job one for any air force. Uh, they have failed to interdict the lines of communication, bringing uh, ammunition and equipment from Poland into Ukraine. That's job two. So they failed both of their things at which our air force is the best in the world. Um, the Black Sea Fleet I've talked about is having to pull back where we, ha where we have failed in this 10 years and now uh, over the last two years, we have failed to commit to Ukraine winning to say clearly what our objective is. And this is where I will agree with one thing that Speaker Johnson said, maybe he didn't intend it this way. The biggest mistake we made in Afghanistan was over 20 years, we never had a clearly defined objective except in the first year. For 19 years, the objective was never clearly defined. And now here we are after 10 years with Afghanistan, we still don't have a clearly defined objective for how do we want this to end? The answer should be, we want Ukraine to win for all the reasons I mentioned earlier. And if we want them to win, then we give them what's needed so, so that they are able to defeat Russia. Not one American soldier has broken a fingernail in Ukraine, and yet they are wrecking the biggest threat facing the United States, and that's a nuclear-armed Russia. Why don't we give them the capability to finish the job? And let's finally kind of talk about that. What are those capabilities uh, based on your expertise? What are those capabilities that you think are necessary? I mean, look, $61 billion, $100 billion, you know, these are big numbers, but what do those numbers represent in terms of military capabilities that are actually needed to decisively win? And can that be achieved with this supplemental? So let me put that in context. Yes, that, absolutely, that's a lot of money, but it is pennies compared to what we will end up paying if Ukraine fails and Russia continues on against a NATO country, and we end up in a conflict with Russia as part of NATO. Now you're going to be talking about trillions and trillions of dollars of damage, ruined economies, and lost lives. So this, this is a very, very small amount of money, a small part of our Department of Defense budget that goes to helping Ukraine wreck the biggest threat that we face. And by the way, the vast majority of that money is not put on an airplane on pallets and shipped to Ukraine. It's spent in the United States on equipment, on ammunition, on things that we are making here in the or in the U.S. and providing to Ukraine. Much of the equipment is used equipment. So uh, making sure we understand what it is we're talking about there. Now, specifically, three things that we should provide immediately. Uh, the, the very first one would be for the president to come out and say, we want Ukraine to win. That's our policy. We're going to do everything it takes. Not this empty for as long as it takes, but very specifically, we're going to do everything it takes for Ukraine to win, along with the other 49 countries that are helping. That's, that is needed. That'll take a lot of the steam out of Russia's hope 
that they can just wait us out because that's what they're trying to do right now. Number two, long range precision weapons. Uh, every inch of Russian occupied Ukraine is within the range of what we call ATACMS, A-T-A-C-M-S. This is the 300 kilometer range precision weapon that the U.S. Army uses. If Ukraine had that, there would not be a safe spot anywhere in Russian occupied Ukraine for airplanes, ships, drones, logistics, none of it. Uh, and then of course that would put pressure on Germany to go ahead and provide their cruise missile equivalent called Taurus. The third thing that's needed is uh, ammunition that is um, a reliable supply of ammunition. Let me say it that way. Right now, you know, the Ukrainians are having to ration out ammunition against an army that depends on thousands of humans in waves attacking. So you have to have artillery to be able to stop those attacks as well as take out Russian artillery. So we've got to figure out how, not just from the U.S., but other countries, um, to uh, get that ammunition to them in time. You know, F-16s, uh, fantastic aircraft. They're coming eventually. They should have been there a year ago. Uh, the training is happening, and I think the Ukrainians will uh, employ F-16s in a smart way once they're ready to, probably in the summertime. Ben Hodges, we appreciate you coming on the Midas Touch Network. I hope you will come back soon. Keep giving us these uh, kind of constant updates, and I think it's helpful to just get this data out to the people. So thank you so much. We appreciate it. I love I love what you guys do. I watch it every chance I can, so I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thank you so much. General Ben Hodges, everyone, and I'm Ben Micellis. Make sure you hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers. Let's get there this month and have a great day. Thanks so much for watching. We're only a few subscribers short of 2 million subs. Please subscribe right now to the Midas Touch YouTube channel for free and help us grow this unapologetically pro-democracy network.